12-year anniversary with my wife here in the front row. We did it. Pray for her. That saint of a woman. She has uh, she's put up with a lot, so um, we're really excited to celebrate today. Hannah is out of town because it's her anniversary, I think, this weekend too, right? So on the 5th here and coming up. So uh, Jimmy uh, obviously did a great job leading for us today, as he always does. Um, Hannah's out celebrating. I'm here, though, for my anniversary. So we'll be sure to give her some some sass when she gets back about that, because I'm here. Like I said, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about friended. This is our series. And, and uh, we, what we're doing in this series is combating the fact that we're in a generation, we're in a people that have a really hard time having healthy friendships and relationships. Recent studies say that the average American only has one close friend. And over half of Americans say that they don't think anyone in their life really knows them well. We have a friendship epidemic. We have a loneliness epidemic. Millennials, in particular, are the loneliest generation in America, even though they are the most digitally hyper-connected they are still the loneliest generation that we have. So we have issues. We have issues with the relationships. We have issues of, of connection, of really having healthy, guiding relationships in our life. And as followers of Jesus, we feel like that's not the way it should be. We, we want the church to be a place where we have deep, lasting friendships. Jesus says, they'll know you're my, you're my disciples by your love for one another. Our relationships are one of the ways we show the world what Jesus is like. So the past three weeks, we've we tackled comparison. Uh, we've tackled communication. Last week, we talked about conflict. Like I said, you can go on and listen to those on our, our, our uh, website and on the podcast. And the roadblocks to deep, lasting relationships. Communication can trip you up. Comparison can trip you up. Conflict can definitely trip you up. Uh, but building lasting relationships means overcoming these roadblocks. And this week, kind of as we keep climbing that forward, as you get into conflict, eventually you're going to have to get to a place where there's forgiveness. And maybe forgiveness is one of the hardest roadblocks that we can face. Because we can silence comparison and we can we can learn to communicate better, and we can even handle conflict in a healthy way. But if we don't know how or we're unwilling to forgive, there is no reconciliation. And where there's no reconciliation, there's no relationship. And like we talked about last week, where there's no reconciliation, we have to wonder if the gospel is even present because the gospel is all about reconciliation. It's all about bringing us together with God and with one another. And all of this we recognize in relationships that it is messy. It's messy, isn't it? You all know what stock photos are? Anybody know what stock photos are? Stock photos are, uh, if you can go on the internet, if you're a business or you're a church, and you can uh, buy these images as sort of fake representations of what your uh, your business or your community or your church is like. And what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to give this, project a particular image about what this group is like or what you're like. And lots of churches use these pictures. If you go to what church websites, a lot of them use these stock photos. And, and whether they're intended to or not, they end up kind of projecting this very idealistic understanding of what 
uh, Christians are like. I want to show you a few of them here and see if this looks like anyone's family. Does anyone have time to sit on their, their bench outside and read their Bible with their kids? Anybody do that? That's a, that looks like a different planet to me right there. My kids would be spitting at me at this point. Well, let's go to the next one here. We have that like that. Oh, we're just sitting together studying the Bible. I wish. That would be wonderful. What's the next one we got here? We got that. Oh, that's, that's, that's what, exactly what our mealtimes look like every single week, especially that shirt that dude's wearing right there because that is a sweet shirt and some, some sideburns we got going on there. It projects this image as if that's what Christianity is supposed to look like. And so if you show up to something today and you know, like I know about my family and my life, that you are a a dripping hot mess from the relationships that you're in, from your marriages or your dating relationships or your friendships, you can look at that stuff and think, I maybe don't fit in there because my my junk is, is, is just... It's a mess in my family. Maybe it's the effects of divorce. You've seen gossip or your kids are crazy. You have broken families. But every time you walk in a door like this, if that's what you think church is, then you're going to walk right out. Healthy relationships, healthy relationships are actually very messy. And it should be comforting to us because if you read the New Testament... The letters that you see from Paul to the early churches that are getting together, you notice these people are hot messes too. If you read into the actual letters, you see some craziness there. There's people struggling with all kinds of brokenness and sin. It's not just in the 21st century. There's a lot of first century hot messes that that Paul is addressing in these letters. And so as you read their letters, you're going to see a pattern emerge of where he's speaking these kind of languages to help them deal with the relationship issues. Look at this from Ephesians 4. We looked at this already. This is kind of the end of this passage we've been looking at a lot in this series. It says, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And again, in Colossians, which is a church 127 miles away from Ephesus, where he wrote that letter, he says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Again, there it is. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Both letters, both churches, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Easy enough, right? Just forgive as God forgave you. No, that's not easy. It's hard. Forgiveness in reality is hard. C.S. Lewis says that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone, something to forgive. Isn't that true? Everyone theologically agrees with forgiveness. I love forgiveness. That's what we're about. And then somebody stabs you in the back and is like, I don't love forgiveness that much anymore. I want to hold on to it. That hurts. It seems unjust when you get in those moments. It seems unfair. Forgiveness doesn't seem natural in those places. It's one of the the clearest areas that our theology, what we believe about God, and the practice of how we live out what we believe about God, there's a huge disconnect sometimes when it comes to forgiveness because it's so hard to practice. It's why you don't go to church and hear sermons like four easy steps to forgiveness. 
because there are no easy steps to forgiveness. It's difficult. It's messy. It moves you past fake it till you make it religion. It, it moves you past external religiosity. It gets inside and touches the deep places in us. So if we have any hope of moving beyond that, any hope of kind of getting to those deep, painful places in us where we do have issues of unforgiveness, then we have to get this passage seriously, what Paul is saying when he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. As the Lord forgave you. In other words, the forgiveness we receive from God in Jesus, it both informs our forgiveness and it empowers our forgiveness of others. If we have any hope of forgiving the people around us, we have to, to be empowered and informed by the forgiveness that we have received ourselves from God. So maybe we don't know how to answer, answer this question, but, but today we will. How does God forgive us? How does he forgive us? And, and to answer that, we have to look beyond just theological statements. We have to move beyond just the, 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 the very clean black and white reality of this is theology. And we have to get to the story. We have to get to maybe Jesus' most famous story of forgiveness. We find it in Luke 15. It's going to be on the screens if you, uh, if you, you, can, you have your Bible, you can look at it on your phone or in your Bible, but it's going to be on the screen here as well. But look at this, this with me here in Luke 15 as we talk about forgiveness. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So Jesus as hearers would hear this, as we're hearing it today, but they would hear a layer deeper than we hear because this, we're separated by 20 centuries of context. And in the first century, they would have heard this and heard a much bigger scandal than what we're hearing. You see, in that time, it's a patriarchal society, and for, for a son to come to a father and say, I want my inheritance, what he is essentially saying is, I don't want to have anything to do with you, I just want your stuff. I just want your privilege, I want the stuff that you can give me, and, and as a matter of fact, by me saying I want my inheritance, an inheritance comes when? When you die. You're as good as dead to me. That's how scandalous this moment is. And his hearers in Jesus' day would have been, whoa, that is harsh. It brings an incredible amount of shame on the father, what this son does. And he not only takes it, he then goes off somewhere far away and blows every bit of it. Probably in Vegas, I would say. That did not get as much of a laugh as I thought it was going to. <laughs> so it's not in my notes. So let's continue on. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to the, a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. As Jews 
pigs were not kosher, and so this was the lowest of the low he was in. Said he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. He starts scheming. He starts planning because finally he's come to his senses and he proposes something that actually kind of makes a lot of sense. Because if I've blown all that money, the only way I know I am back in relationship with someone like that, especially my father, is if I start working to pay him back. If I have any hope of reconciliation, I have to make do. I have to work my way back into relationship. That makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that make sense? There's a word for that we use a lot. The word is karma. Karma is you get what you deserve. It's not actually a Christian idea, but it's very prominent in our culture. You're going to get yours. You know what I'm talking about? You act some way, you're going to reap what you sow. So this plan that this young son has is actually seemingly just because this man all of a sudden gets the idea that I better work my way back and I'm going to pay karma back for what I have realized. Now the father could do anything at this point. The father could send him away. He could have him publicly, you know, just, just humiliated. He could do tons of stuff. He could banish him. How would the father respond? How the father responds in this moment is massive for our understanding of God. So listen closely to what it's saying here. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate from this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. This doesn't make sense sense. Nothing in the first century, in the 21st century, either one, nothing about his response makes any sense. Like I said, he could have made him work his 
tail off for the rest of his life and probably never reach that point of paying him back. He could have publicly humiliated. He could have cast him out. But instead, he throws a party. Instead, he gives him the finest robe, gives him a ring, kills the fatted calf, which was only reserved for the greatest moments of the year. He turns his return into the greatest celebration his family can throw. This does not make sense. Not only that, for the father to have run while he was a long way off, he would have had to pull up his robe and ran. And that in that time was scandalous as well. All of this shame that the father has taken on because of his son, and yet he is the one running to him and throwing the party. He doesn't get what he deserves. Karma, karma doesn't win. Instead, this is something we call grace. We call grace, we call forgiveness. Forgiveness in this moment wins. And I hope that you feel in this moment what I am feeling, and and it's this. That's unfair, isn't it? It's unfair, and that's good news. Because even as the father is being gracious to his son, let's not forget about the fact that there is an incredible cost here. This is half of his land and money and investments for his entire life are gone. That's a great cost. So that seems unfair because does forgiveness mean that the father just ignores the cost? Does he just think, eh, I guess that was just all of my money and land and inheritance. That's not that big of a deal because that seems weird. Does he just sort of acknowledge it? On the surface, it could seem that way. If you just breeze through the story, it seems that way, but it's not that way at all because in order to bring his son back, he doesn't ignore the cost. In fact, he bears that cost. The father doesn't ignore the cost of his son's disobedience. He bears that cost himself. Friends, that's the heart of the gospel. Not that Jesus ignores the cost of our disobedience. Jesus takes that cost upon himself. That is what the gospel is all about, absorbing the cost for our sin, for our brokenness, for our shame. For instance, if you walk up to my house right now and you throw a rock and you break a window, you know what? I'll forgive you. Don't go do that though, please. I would forgive you. But there's still a hole in my window, you know? And so either I have to allow that hole in the window to stay there, or I have to bear the cost of fixing the window. Someone has to bear the cost. And the forgiver is the one who steps into the role of Jesus and bears the cost to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. It's where we find this answer today to the question we asked earlier. How does God forgive us? See, God doesn't forgive us just by saying, you know, all that stuff, the the, the brokenness of this world, it's not that bad. You know, the murdering and the the wars and the the sacrifice and all the the horrible things happening, it's just not that, no. Jesus doesn't just push that stuff away. The cost is still there. But somebody has to bear that cost. 
And God brings us forgiveness, friends, not by ignoring the cost of sin and brokenness in this world. He, he brings forgiveness by on himself bearing that cost. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says that when you were dead in your sins, speaking of us, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. How? He forgave us of all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's good news. The Bible says, and you know, you've heard this if you grew up in church, that the wages of sin is death. Not just death, death. The wages of sin is death, meaning if you sin, death is what you deserve. And we love to hammer that in, and churches have loved to hammer that in and make people feel like sin is what you are. And a very wrong reality has come from this. The, the reality that we've taken upon is that sinfulness equals worthlessness. And so for you to understand that you're sinful, then you feel like you have no worth. And some churches sort of take that theology and tell you that, and you feel worthless. And so to acknowledge sin, you got to say, well, I'm just worthless before God. I'm just nothing. But the cross shows the opposite of that. It shows an incredible worth that the God of the universe chose, willingly chose to step into the place that we deserve to step into and take that upon himself. What could make us have more worth than the fact that our creator would stand in our place and take on our sin? You are worth more than you know today. Even in our brokenness, we are worth more than we could ever ever understand. And on the cross, Jesus, he, his last words, if you don't know what they were, are, are in, the, in the English it says, it is finished. Now in the Greek, that is a word that's tetelestai. Say that, tetelestai. Sounds like a toast. And in many ways it is. And what that means in the Greek literally is paid in full. You remember how the wages of sin was death? that what we deserve, that what we needed to pay was death because of the, the curse that was on us because of our sin? Well, in Jesus Christ, that is paid in full, once and for all. You no longer carry the wages of sin. You have been given, like the sun, the finest robe, you have been given like the younger son, the ring that means the family identity. You have been given the party. You have been given the finest things from the father, not because you deserve it, but because you have been made worthy in him. That's what you have received. And that's how God has forgiven you. You, friends, in Christ are free. That is no longer on you. That's what you have today. Maybe you have been brought in here today and thought Christianity is all about beating you down with how bad you were and you better get God or he's gonna be mad. That's not the gospel. The gospel today is that you were so worth 
the love of God that even in your worst place, in your brokenness, he stood in your place and took every single bit of your sin and shame and brokenness upon himself. And you no longer bear that. You are free. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news, isn't it? I'm about to get Jimmy back up here. That's good news. The question then is, how does that make its way into our relationships? That's the message of Christianity, but how does that forgiveness bleed itself into our relationships? And like I said, there are no three easy steps to forgiveness, but I want to just give us three things to close today that will help us kind of move in that direction. I do not pretend today that forgiveness is easy. And I know that some of the offenses against some of us in here are just too heavy to even speak of. I know that there's things that some of us have carried in here today from our past or maybe even in our present right now that that we are deeply, deeply in pain of. And, And we do not make light of that. We do not say, this is easy, you should do this. We know forgiveness is a journey, it's hard. But here's some things just to take that next step, to let the gospel bleed into our life to find that forgiveness. The first thing is this, is is acknowledge the cost. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge the cost. Jesus doesn't ignore the cost. He takes it upon himself. Acknowledge what has been done. Acknowledge, speak that out. Speak out if you were hurt. Speak out if you were angry. If you're broken, it's okay to be vulnerable, especially in a place like this. It's okay to say, yes, This is how I've been hurt. And especially if you're walking in conflict and reconciliation like we talked about last week, it's incredibly important to speak that out. Acknowledge that pain. Finding forgiveness is not ignoring what happened to you. It's speaking that out. But in light of that, the second thing we do is we remember the debt that was paid for us. Remember the debt that was paid for us. For you are all like the prodigal. We're all like the ones who have ran away and squandered what's been given us. We wanted God's stuff, but not God. We wanted God's privilege, but we didn't want God. And we ran away as far as we could, and we blew it. And yet Jesus, on the cross, took that debt upon himself. There is no hope for forgiveness if we are not eternally and continually connected to how we are forgiven and the debt that was paid in us. If you do not keep that before you, if you do not remember how great a cost that was paid for you, it's going to be impossible to forgive anyone else. So acknowledge the cost. Remember the debt that was paid for you. Remember you're free and you're new and the old is gone and the new has come. And in light of that, in light of this reality, we bring the cost to the one who bears it for us. I bet you may be thinking today, I know the great cost of that pain that was done to me, that the pain that hurt me. And I can tell you, Justin, I'll just tell you straight up right now, I can't bear that. I cannot bear the cost of the forgiveness because the, the pain and the sin against me, the hurt is too great. I can't bear that in myself. And guess what? You are right. You can't. You were never made to. You were never made to bear that alone. And that's why bringing it to Jesus, bringing it to the only one who can bear not only the, the weight of your sin, but the weight of the sin of the one who sinned against you. He's the only one who can bear the cost 
of this forgiveness. And it may mean that forgiveness is not a one-time act where I just say, oh, you're forgiven. It means that every week, every day, I come and I say, Jesus, I have this anger in me. I have this hurt in me, and I want to forgive. I want to forgive in you. And so today, Jesus, before this even begins, before I walk down a road of bitterness, before I walk down a road of cynicism, I give this to you. I can't bear it, Jesus, but you can. I'm going to walk in forgiveness, not because I can take it on, but because I know you can. And sometimes it means doing that over and over and over and over again until Jesus slowly, over years sometimes and decades, changes our hearts. So today the challenge for us, for some of us, I hope, I prayed in Jesus' name, today's the first time you realize I'm forgiven and I don't have to carry this anymore. And if that's true for you today, today's the day you walked into Jesus and Jesus received you. You want to receive that forgiveness for the first time. Maybe you thought Christianity was churchianity where you were beat down your entire life. That's not who God is. The good news is that Jesus receives you at your worst, not when you get your stuff together. He receives you now. If that's you, we're going to be in the back. I'd love to pray with you. You can put on your card. I'm, I'm ready to take that next step in following Jesus. I want to be baptized. Put that on a card. Come back. We'd love to pray with you about that. Or maybe today you're one of those people that just needs to be forgiving someone. Maybe there's some sort of bitterness or, or struggle in your heart right now. I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit does some work in you. I don't know what that is. I don't know where everybody is in this moment. And and, and I know, I trust the Holy Spirit's going to do something in us as we take communion together. But yeah, th- I want to close with this, this quote from Henry Nouwen and, and allow this to kind of be a prayer that leads us into our time of communion. He says this, to forgive another person from the heart is an act of liberation. We set that person free from the negative bonds that exist between us. We say, I no longer hold your offense against you, but there is more. We also free ourselves from the burden of being the offended one. As long as we do not forgive those who have wounded us, we carry them with us, or worse, pull them as a heavy load. The great temptation is to cling in anger to our enemies, and then define ourselves as being offended and wounded by them. Forgiveness, therefore, liberates not only the other, part, the other, but also ourselves. It is the way to the freedom of the children of God. Jesus, today, I don't know where we are. I pray that today is the day that maybe some of us walk in and say, Jesus, I want to, to give you more than just my outward religious appearance, I want to give you my heart today. I want to give you my brokenness because I know that you're not going to banish me. I know that you're going to receive me and take me in as your own. So that's someone here today, God, give them the courage to take that step, take that just that next step of faith towards following you. For the rest of us, God, I know that any relationship that we've been in is going to require forgiveness. And so, Holy Spirit, do a work in us today that not only reminds us of the great debt that was paid on our behalf, but empowers us to take those next steps for, to forgiveness. Maybe today is, 
acknowledging for the first time that there was a cost, that it hurt. Maybe today is as we take these elements, this bread representing your body, this juice representing your blood, we are reminded of the great debt that was paid for us. And we have the courage to maybe for the first time bring that cost to you and say, Jesus, I can't bear it anymore. Please take this. I know you can bear it, Jesus. You alone can bear this cost. And so I offer it to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the forgiveness we find in you, for the acceptance we find in you, for the hope that we find in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.